Yes. Hi, yes, uh, this is the Media Boat Podcast presentation of Pixar Madness, which is our special March event where we are ranking all 19 of the Pixar films in order of quality. This is episode three of a four-part series. If you missed episodes one and two, here's a brief breakdown of what we're doing. So, we are going through every one of the Pixar movies in chronological order and sorting them based on perceived quality in comparison to each other. We're starting by taking groups of five, four in the next episode, and putting them vaguely in an ordered list where we think they should be, in a quadrant in the list of 19. Whether at the very bottom, middle bottom, upper, bo- upper, upper middle, or the top five. So we've already done this for the Pixar movies spanning from 1995 all the way to the end of the decade, 2009. So we spanned already a decade and a half of Pixar movies, and guess what? We have another decade of them. Well, we're going through going through another five years. Yes. So today will be another five movies. We'll be starting in 2010 with Toy Story 3 and finishing up in 2015 with Inside Out. Uh, 2015 is an interesting year because they actually put two out, so we'll continue in 2015 at the beginning of next edition as well. But yes, today we are focusing on Toy Story 3, Cars 2, Brave, Monsters University, and Inside Out. Those will be the movies that we talk about. Then on the fourth episode, we will take the vague list that we've created. And at the end, we will then decide the ultimate ranking by moving anybody if we deem necessary to move. Yeah, but we'll get to that at Next the time. end. Yes. Yeah, that's the very end. Because So first off, uh, welcome, and let's yes. just dive right in. Yeah, we start with 2010's Toy Story 3, which I'm sure we've been waiting to get to, because uh, if you ask a lot of people, especially right after this thing came out, this is a lot of people's favorite now. Yeah, this was the one that where people were constantly campaigning to not only get the best picture nom, yeah, which it did, it did, but that it had a legitimate shot of actually winning. It didn't. It didn't. Unfortunately, no. But the fact that it was nominated alongside its predecessor up. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, we discussed kind of the controversy about them raising the nominees for Best Picture to 10 in the first place last time. But I think in this case, it definitely earns it more than Up does. Because, yes, I am of the mind, as well as kind of the popular opinion, that this is definitely one of the best Pixar movies. Yeah. It's also to, to know that uh, Up and Toy Story 3 are the only two nominated Yes. From Pixar's canon. So far. So far. Who knows what the future... To be nominated uh, for Best Picture. Future holds in the future here, but for now, it's just the two. Yeah. So uh, I, but in this case, I think it's well earned. Yeah. Well, I think it goes without saying that it did win the animated feature. Did. I mean, that was That was an obvious call. Of every year they've done an animated feature award, yeah. this was the, the most obvious call. Definitely, definitely. So... Obviously, this is the third in the Toy Story series, so kind of a lot of what we talked about with two has uh, has relevance here as well. They already established the characters, so they can kind of just start in with everybody kind of knowing the personalities of everyone, and they can play with it. A lot of this movie's humor, just like in two, comes from the fact that we know and care for these characters so much. Most notably, of course, the arc that Buzz goes through in this movie, where he gets uh, a switch turned in his back and uh, speaks Spanish for uh, the majority of the film. Uh, stuff like that, where they take established characters and kind of play with them in new, unique ways. Uh, so, uh, just kind of as an overhead view of what the plot this time around is, uh, Andy is now uh, an 18-year-old ready to go to college. Yeah. Uh, uh, and when kids get to that age, the question then lies... What do you do with your toys? You're not really playing with them anymore. You can't really take them with you. You can't really take them with you to college. That would be kind of weird. So Andy faces the reality of having to give them away. Or put oh, the reality of putting them in storage. Or that. And so toys, the toys are also kind of realizing they're having a moment of truth too. Where they have to face either two, one of two fates. Either they're given away to someone who's not their original owner. Or they're put into storage locked up forever. Which they, which at the beginning of the film, they were happy with going into storage. I mean, right. they weren't happy with it, 
But they had resigned to, okay, we're going into storage. This is a natural life cycle. Yeah. We're going to accept this, but we're still his toys. Right. So it kind of goes back into the theme of Toy Story 2, where the toys have to ask themselves, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of being a toy? And ultimately, the lesson is, is we want to be played. Like, it, like yes, we do. Uh, we did love our first owner. You know, we loved Andy, and we were Andy's family and Andy's friends. But... If we get played by somebody else, it's not the end of the world. At least we're being used, and Andy would have wanted it to be that way. And so that is all kind of parallel to the more direct A-plot of the story, which has to do with them ending up in a daycare. Yes, the, the, the chunk of this thing. Yes. The, the, good, the good part. Well, I don't say the good part, and but the from there, conflict happens. And from there it becomes essentially the great escape. Yeah. The movie is basically a parody of The Great Escape for a big portion of it, where they face the kind of the leader of the, the daycare toys, which is uh, the, the, the bear character. Lotso. Lotso. Lotso Huggin' Bear. Lotso Huggin' Bear, I think. I, I think it's Huggin' Stuff, but he smells like strawberries. He smells like strawberries. He seems like a nice country gentleman. And he's played by Ed Asner. But he ends, <laughs> yes, but he ends up kind of being nefarious. Doesn't want anybody to leave. Uh, yeah, it's yes. a whole thing. He also, um, yeah, he's also has a very tragic backstory, which yes. I think is the second time that's happened in a Pixar film. First one that comes to mind is Bucky from Incredibles. Right. I mean, even the prospector in um, uh, Toy Story 2 kind of has a similar kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas there's like, there's a reason that he's acting the way that they do. They set up the villain with at least like semi-relatable uh, scenario about why he would be acting the way he is. Yeah, but they always take it to the extremes, okay. as is the case. Yeah, like, I mean, even like, most recently, Black Panther, you know, <laughs> that, you have to do that with your villains, because otherwise, yeah. if you relate too much with the villain, you won't care about your protagonist. I know, Hans and so Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so they have to they have to do something drastic with the villain. They have to still want to kill everybody, even if they're right. Right. Uh, in some way or fashion. So yeah, uh, the, the one of the my favorite things about this movie, and I don't know if you agree, is the new characters they introduce. I agree. The the squad of of of, uh, of characters that they introduce, both in the daycare setting, and in the the kind of later in the film where they introduce you to the new uh, uh, Bonnie's Bonnie girl. the kid the new kid that kind of ends up being the new owner. Spoiler alert of of all Andy's toys. Um, her toys are just hilarious. Like, the, the, the Triceratops, uh, voiced by, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Kristen Schaal. Yes. Which is amazing. And the actor, Porcupine. Uh, that's my favorite. Yeah, he's, he's very great. serious, and yet, he's still a porcupine, so you kind of laugh at him. <laughs> it's like, they're great new additions to the cast. Those freaking peas in the pot are adorable. <laughs> that's hilarious. It's just, it's like... They, they, there's so much charm going on in this movie mm-hmm. and then the ending smacks you with one of the most like it smacks you twice actually dramatic depressing sad almost death scenes it's legitimately terrifying yeah. when all the toys are holding hands with each other because they legitimately think they're going to be burned up in an incinerator and you legitimately like, realize that there, there's literally no way out. Yeah. They're sliding down the pit, they can't get up, and there's nothing around them that can save them. It kind of reminded me, like, of a super, a much bigger version of the bit in Finding Nemo where he goes up the tube. Where you yeah. think legitimately, how the hell is Nemo going to get out of this? Right. That's like, put to, like, a five-minute sequence in this movie. Yeah, Whereas, but at least with the Nemo thing, it was in the middle of the movie, and you knew right. that could be the end. Be, yeah. but, this was, but this was at the end, and you're yeah. like, well, they're not, they're not just going to do it, are they? Yeah. But you realize that that's the end of the, their trilogy, that they, the story they want to tell. Right. And it's like, well, they they technically could, I guess? And then the, uh, the second, then they do it again after they survive, when, of course, Andy has to pass his toys on to Bonnie. And it's just... Ah, every single time I saw it, I think I cried like a baby. You cried right just, now? It's such a... And it's not even a sad cry. It's a really, it's a really a happy cry because you're like... that. You don't even think when you're like, you know, into your 20s and like older, you don't think about how much your toys meant to you when you were a kid. 
you kind of forget. And so when that is literally playing in front of you, all those feelings come back. Well, not only that, but we've already been through two movies with these characters. Right, that too. We've seen them, we've grown with them, and they've just gone on a third adventure, and we've just gone yes. on an adventure with them. Which and is... You, it brings us to the very climax, the very yeah. end of this film, and as Andy's going through his toys, you just feel, because... He's it's like he's telling Bonnie like this is how he played with them oh, oh. And, and how he sees them and how each each of the toys had feeling and meaning. Oh, it's heart wrenching. And it's... then, but the heart, most heart wrenching is, of course, Woody. Yes. Be having to part with his best your, friend. Not only your best friend, but your yeah. most precious possession. It was yeah. It's definitely, but one and and just even talking about this right now just shows like. I'm starting to cry right now. Yeah, the fact that we care so much about the characters just stands as a testament to how, like, well this movie is pulled off. Because if most people, when they heard they were making a third Toy Story movie, everybody was dismissive. It was like, how are they possibly going to make another sequel? Like, obviously this is a cash grab. We had just gotten, you know, off of uh, of kind of... Some weaker Pixar movies. The 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 mm-hmm. the, the, the the or well no we weren't. Well no 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 no, no no well we just come we're up, on a high. So here's what happened. Okay, we just come off of high of Ratatouille, Wally, and Up. Yeah. Three like highly critically praised, acclaimed. critically acclaimed movies, and then Pixar immediately said we're gonna start making a more sequels. Right. And that's so, exactly yeah. what happened after it. You're right. And so, so that's what. And that's to... where everyone went. Wait, you're gonna start making sequels now? It was easy to get in that space uh, where, oh, this is it for Pixar. And yet, they made, arguably at the time, their best movie after that. Um. So, now, uh, so now we have the question, how does it rank? And oh, I think that this... This is an easy top five. I think I agree. I, I don't know where it's going to be in the top five. Yeah, I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know where there, it's going to be. I feel like there. it has to be. Up it there. has to be. Just because it feels like rewarding three is rewarding the entire trilogy to me. Yes. I think what they did with that thing is they, they put a cap on a story, even though it is now not the last Toy Story. They have announced and confirmed a Toy Story 4, mm-hmm. which will involve the same core characters. So this is no longer the end of an era. And to be fair, they have done Toy Story. Shorts, yeah, but those are more extensions of the universe. Uh, but the last ones do kind of involve Bonnie's crew, yes. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it's it's really interesting what they're gonna do next because this feel this felt so much like the end of a story. It was a nice cap, it was yeah. an end, it was, and so that's I think maybe the one thing that detracts from it. Well, here's the thing that I think that maybe detracts from too. If you didn't have Toy Story one and you didn't have Toy Story two, yeah, would Toy Story three? No, it wouldn't matter as much. Still matter as much. But that's a dumb conversation to have because we live in a universe where those movies exist. Right. So we have to we have to admit that yeah, we were counting them as a whole, and so yes, we have to count the impact uh, of the first two movies on the third movie. It has to be part of the conversation, but. That we're getting way ahead of ourselves. We don't have to judge its merits compared to its no. uh, fellow top fivers until next time. So for now, let's put it in the top five quadrant, and I think we're good with Toy Story 3 because, man, it earned it. Yeah, just think about that last line of the film, the so long partner Ugh. as Andy drives away. Ugh. Not only is he driving away, but Woody stares at the camera as he says it. It's like yeah. he's saying goodbye to the audience, saying too. goodbye to the audience because, yeah, they didn't know they were the end. fourth one. So, so it's like goodbye, everyone. And yeah. just so many good moments. It's it's a perfect ending. It really is. Yes. It's I think it was their best ending, uh, and that maybe only will be best uh, a, a handful of movies from now that we'll talk about next next episode. But uh, now I know we we talk a lot about this ending. Yes. But we still should, should mention that throughout the film, there's oh, a lot that goes that built into stuff. it. I just felt like it wasn't super necessary to talk about. Because there's, we would just be talking about Toy Story 3 for like an hour. Oh, what's so, that? <laughs> we don't have that much time. Uh, so yeah, uh, we'll put it in the top quadrant. We'll return to, uh, we'll talk about it more, I'm sure, next time when we have to rank it in the top five here. Yep. Uh, but for now, let's move on uh, to the next in the list here, uh, which is, oh boy, here we go. We knew we were going to have to talk about it. We have to talk about Cars 2. 
Yes. Elephant in the room. Yes. So this is what Pixar took a hard left. And in NASCAR, <laughs> you don't want to take a hard left. No, you want to take a gentle left. Yes. Uh, from what I understand, because you want to maintain your speed. Right. Wait, uh, wait, what, what, what do they go around the track? Do they go right or they go left around the track? They go left around the track. So they made a hard right then. Yeah, they made a hard right, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, Karsu, ask anyone, it is definitely the black sheep of the Pixar canon. And whether or not it earns that, I don't know, because I haven't seen it. That's kind of the thing that I have to get across here. Unfortunately, I can't speak on behalf of Cars 2, because I have not seen the movie. Right now, it is not available in a format where it's easy for me to see, so I kind of skipped it. Uh, But that's because the air around when it came out was, you don't need to see it. And that's what kind of is the thing, is you don't need to see it. Basically, yeah. So yes, talk. Tell me. Tell me about, weave me a tale. Tell me about... Cars 2 and its relative merits. So, Cars 2 only came about, and, like, the Cars universe has only come about because of the merchandise sales. (laughs) I don't know if that's fair. I feel like John Lasseter really does have something that he's trying to say with the Cars movies. Oh, yeah. I think he definitely has passion behind it. I do not want to just assume that Cars 2 is completely a heartless enterprise. No. I want to believe that they were proud of the story they make because Pixar does not make a movie unless they're confident about the story that they're telling. But... Do you, but, do you know about the story that they're telling? I vaguely understand that it becomes kind of a James Bondy spy pastiche. Yes, but it is also about eco-friendly cars. Is it? Okay. Yes. I didn't know that part. <laughs> so it's Wally meets cars. It's about uh, <laughs> junk cars and lemon cars, uh-huh. and how new cars like have like better fuels and uh, are getting like greener and clean energy. Yeah. And so people are, or I guess, like, if you're considered, like, a lemon, you're considered, like, a bad car. Got it. Uh, which is very, like... It's a car caste system. Yeah. It's, like, classism for cars. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So, a lemon of a car... or it's ageism, I guess, for cars. Kind of, yeah. Because <laughs> they have to be old. Yeah. So, a lemon of a car organizes a race tournament around uh-huh. the world, a Grand Prix of sorts, and enlists all types of cars around... The world, huh. uh, and which like McQueen competes in, uh, and basically they have to use this like eco-friendly fuel uh, in order to uh, compete, be- in order to show off like how fast the cars go because of it. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, um, the fuel makes the cars explode. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, that's a thing in the movie. That's okay. All right. Then it basically ruined, ends up ruining the cars, and so in order for like the eco-friendly fuel to um, basically be discounted, yeah, and 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 mocked, and basically have its sales tanked, so that way people could still consume oil, because unbeknownst to everyone else, the uh, the founder of the race had found a secret gold mine of oil, so in order to keep <laughs> that oil going, uh-huh. yeah. You would, you would have to basically deter the eco-friendly. Yeah. Uh, I'm starting to get the metaphor here. Oh, yeah. It's, it's basically like, oh, well, the, the auto companies want you to believe that they're for these health, uh, like eco-friendly cars, but really, they're in bed with the oil companies. Oh, yes. Yes, they are. That's just truth. Uh, let, let's <laughs> remind you all that this is a kid's movie. <laughs> So, yeah, but from what and, I understand, yes, this is not even close to all the problems this movie has. Because, oh, because from that, what I understand, that, it's not really about Lightning Queen. This is a Mater vehicle. Yes, and this brings us to the other part of this, <laughs> where because a lot of the uh, four uh, after cars, they made a lot of Mater yes. shorts yes. Uh, that kids loved. He's a popular character. And he's a popular character that they focused the whole movie around him yes. and him. Being a spy instead of Lightning McQueen and him going on wacky adventures during the race. I can see kind of why on paper because it's a funny concept to have the funny comic relief character be a bumbling spy. It's like get smart with cars. Right. And it also keeps the uh, keeps Mayor around and keeps the whole uh, buddy comedy. Yeah. That's what you want. That's what you want. That's what you got in cars. Uh, Right. So so why why break that formula? But. Is it fun? Is it fun? Is the question. No. It sounds like it could be. It sounds like it could be, but if you just get banged over the head with all this eco-friendly stuff <laughs> and, and like super heavy metaphors that are 
not subtle at all. And there's and there's just get bombarded over the head too with Mater mm-hmm. and the voice of Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah, the plot of Larry the Cable Guy. Yes, and here we come to the folly of Larry the Cable Guy, oh, where boy. he's good in doses, but not for ninety minutes. No, not for ninety <laughs> minutes. <laughs> because you're listening to a yes, it's Larry the Cable Guy. You know what you're getting. Yeah, you know what you're. You know what he sounds like. If you haven't, go on YouTube, look him up. You'll turn it off within two minutes. Yeah, you'll be like, okay, this is. I see where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> the 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 part of those such commercials, the heartbreak commercials, well, whatever. He's he's showing out for these days. <laughs> so generally speaking, how does this compare with the first Cars? I'm curious about that. Like, does it just waste all the like the potential at least the first movie had? Because I mean, we talked about the first movie. It's not our favorite either. But there's at least a story there. This sounds like it's kind of all over the place. And that's the thing is that it is all over the place because what starts off as an innocent race turns into the uh, spy thriller that you uh, mentioned <laughs> yeah. with Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Yeah. Uh, and Larry the Cable Guy basically racing around while the race is going on to uncover the oil conspiracy. Right. And because it cuts away to that most of the time, like... Like, if it has a chance to show you between the race and what the spies are doing, it'll show you the race for, like, the first half lap, and then cut to the whole spy thing, and never go back to the race until the very end. Yeah. But, again, that's kind of NASCAR, where you turn in so that for the beginning and the end. Or right. Except when the races, the like, uh, crashes happen. So, they, they had to fill in something, and they had to give Mater something to do. Yeah. So, it's essentially... They did what they could, but I, there's definitely a better way to go about it, and I don't want to say not be so heavy-handed with the whole eco-friendly thing. Yeah. But... It almost sounds like to me that, like, because of how successful uh, the franchise was at that point, like merchandise sales and just, like, as a thing that Disney can use and market towards kids. Yeah. Did they maybe have a lower bar of quality where they figured this doesn't have to be amazing? This doesn't have to be Toy Story 3 quality to help us, like, to make money for us. Like, I'm almost wondering if there was some sort of psychological thing going on at the studio where they were like, we know. They had to know, right? They had to know, I guess is what I'm saying. They had to know that it wasn't as, it wasn't on that top tier. It wasn't as good as they could have made it. But they settled because it's cars. But they did also introduce a bunch of new cars and yeah. a bunch of new toys. characters to create a bunch of new toys. And again, I want to go back to the beginning. I don't think any of that was necessarily for toys first. I want to say that that was probably a conversation that they had parallel. Well, see, I want to say this is a conversation that Disney had with John Lasseter. Yeah, and his team. Like, I want to say that there was probably, like, maybe some pressure from the Disney side of things yes. to be like, hey, if you could do like a bunch of new characters here, that would be great for our toy line. Right. But make sure it has something to do with the, the story because they know that they can't boss Pixar around. Real briefly though, when did John Lasseter take over the Disney animation? That was around the time that Bob Iger became CEO and right after the purchase i want to say i want to say that was like announced with the purchase with the purchase that he was going to do both yeah i think so okay because that was a big hit they needed a needed a person because if you recall after the whole uh after the board voted eisner out um uh it was uh roy disney who was head of the animation because they had no one else to be there Mm -hmm. he didn't want to do it he was super old. <laughs> and he was like, oh, it's like he was just there because he had the Disney name. Okay, I, I just wonder because yeah. that was later during around this time, 2010. Yeah. During production it was definitely events. before 2010. Okay. So that was already an established thing. So yeah, I'm sure that that conversation is brought up, but I really want to believe just Pixar, what I understand about Pixar as a working environment, they are story first no matter what. Yeah. So I don't think... There was anything nefarious or controversial here. I want to no, believe there's... that that was a conversation that was had, but I don't want to. I, I don't believe that they made the characters for the toy line. No, this was definitely. I can definitely tell this was yeah. story first because there's definitely a message 
Pixar's trying to get across, a la Wall-E. Yeah, there definitely is. It's just, can you tell that story with Tomator? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's who's a super American car. Right. And that, that becomes the extra metaphor layer problem of this thing. Yeah. But if you strip all that away, it's a fun popcorn flick. Like, you'll have a good time <laughs> watching it. But the fact that you just said that, and we haven't said that for any of the rest of these films, yeah, is definitely a testament that it probably belongs on the bottom of this list for now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, because Pixar is known for putting up high-quality tiers movies, and before this, the lowest quality was Cars. I mean... <laughs> it can only be followed by Cars 2. Yeah, Cars 2 is currently the lowest thing... Uh, Pixar has done with a 57% on Metacritic. I believe it. Or it's 57 score, not percent. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, just that alone, it belongs in the bottom. It don't think it's necessarily the worst thing they've done. Ah! But that's to be debated I mean, later. objectively, it seems to be. But, yeah, subjectively, we'll come to that when we, we cross that bridge. Right. But, yeah, for now, I think let's put it back there. It just seems like, yeah, I think you put it best. The fact that we say that you said that, oh, it's a popcorn flick at best, means that in comparison to literally every other film that we've talked about, it doesn't hold a candle. Yeah, it doesn't have an emotional gut punch. It doesn't, no. It's not going to make you cry. No. It's there for you don't entertainment. don't care much about the characters. It takes away the emotional stakes. It's there for a entertainment purposes. It's there to be a fun sequel to Cars 1 with, like, a loose message attached to it. Yeah. Is what it sounds like. Okay. We've probably talked more about Cars 2 than anyone has since 2011. So let's move on to the next year's movie, 2012's Brave. Yes. Which was definitely a different kind of movie for the studio. It was the studio's first Disney princess. So yeah, this is... Brave is a very interesting thing for a lot of reasons. Uh, One is their first film uh, centered around a female protagonist, first and foremost. There are female characters in previous Pixar movies, but they were always part of an ensemble or on the periphery. I mean, is that yeah. not correct? I don't want to say... They're all supporting characters. Yes. When you think of the strong Pixar female characters, you think, like, Jessie from Toy Story 2. Mm-hmm. You think Eve from Wally. Mrs. Incredible. Mrs. Incredible. They're all parts of a larger story as opposed to being the focal point. Mm-hmm. So Brave doesn't even doesn't just do that. It does one up and it has its entire story about a female relationship. It is, at its heart, a story about a mother and a daughter. Not too dissimilar from uh, last year's Best Picture nominee, Lady Bird, in a way. Uh, they're similar in structure. Um, it's very much about a rebellious daughter who doesn't want to fall into the things that are expected uh, from her family, specifically her mother, and their relationship is strained until something happens that tests their relationship and they really, and they come together closer than ever. But the other half of this is this, yes, as you kind of hinted at with Princess, it is Pixar's first Disney-esque fairy tale. It is a ode to kind of Scottish folklore um, taking place in, like, Scotland uh, a long, long time ago in a fantasy version of the past, you could say. Not necessarily clear about when it takes place, but it's pretty, like, medieval in the setting. Yeah, there's, uh, there's... It's, yeah, basically it's like a Renaissance fair. Yeah, yeah, it's Renaissance. Well, even before that, like I said, I think it's closer to medieval mm. uh, than it is Renaissance, even. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, before we go too far uh, uh, to to set the table for you guys, yes, this was their follow up to Cars and the critical or Cars Two, and the critical reaction was, oh, it's kind of more of Pixar, not one hundred percent there. It was very seen, like it was seen very much at the time to be like still the continuing of Pixar's low point. Well, this was also a very troubled production. Yes. Having, um, starting out with a Pixar's first female director uh-huh. and then being replaced. Well, it's complicated because, yes, that was the story at the time was that, like, the story, I remember it hit newspapers mm-hmm. even at the time. That was a big deal that they were replacing the director who is animation um, uh, uh, stalwart. She's actually been uh, involved in several different studios uh, doing animation directing. Uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, b- 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 had it yesterday. 
when we were watching the movie she's in. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so we just saw this movie, so it's really fresh in our brain. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, but yeah, uh, I forget her name. But at least she got the, the writing credit, though. Brenda Chapman. Brenda Chapman. Uh, yeah. So she was uh, uh, slated to direct this. It was her story. Uh, she does have a story by credit. Uh, ultimately, what happened is that she uh, was not removed from the credits. She just got a, a co-directing credit yeah, uh, sure. with Mark Anderson, who I believe took. Andrews. Andrews. Mark Andrews, who took kind of the main the made lead on the direction here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can tell, though, that it definitely has the influence of a female director, uh, both in its themes and it's both in kind of its tone. It's definitely the least, like, for lack of a better term, it's the least masculine of the Pixar stories. It uh, takes its time with its with its themes. It takes its time with its action. There is some action, but it's not the focal point. There is some comedy, but it's not the focal point. It's um, and I could see that that maybe some of the critical reaction, why some of the critical reaction was negative, is that it kind of is kind of all over the place tonally. Right, there's not really a well. There is a through line of the month with a daughter relationship. Yeah. But compared to everything else, like it basically takes the cake. It, it is the cake. Yeah, there is a cake prominently yes, featured in the yes. film as well. <laughs> uh, I have to full disclosure here, though. I love this movie. I think I it's one of my favorite uh, Pixar movies. I love that it does something different. I love the uh, kind of more tender moments in it. I love the whole portion where... Uh, so the mother becomes a bear uh, because basically uh, Merida, the lead uh, the teenage rebellious uh, princess, decides she doesn't want to be, be betrothed with a, uh, a, a prince from another kingdom, which is the, the tradition. She wants to uh, fight for her own hand and remain independent uh, and, and, find and not love, worry about love. And find love on her own time. She wants to worry about that when it comes to it. Uh, there's a way you could read all of this um, as potential uh, as potential uh, hints that she is the first queer Pixar character. Okay. There are some uh, articles I've read that suggest that that is some subtext. Um, Just because she can shoot a bow. But specifically, well, it specifically references one line where she's kind of, it's the, it's the scene where they're going back and forth. The mother and Merida are both at the same time kind of emulating the conversation that they want to have with oh, each other. Yeah. And Merida, one of Merida's lines is, if, I don't want to do this now, if not ever, is what she says. And so it's just, yeah, you could read that in kind of multiple ways. So yeah, there were some people at the time well, uh, see, I, reading I, that as, as a potential uh, uh, possibility of a queer character. I don't necessarily know if that's necessarily fair. Because there's all sorts of different ways you can read it. Well, yeah, because I read that. Well, because I when I that I read that read that line yeah. as well. I don't want because they're talking about getting married. Right. Get she doesn't know if she wants to get married necessarily. Yeah. So another way you could read that. Right. But yeah, and also it's kind of just what that's what a rebellious teenager would say in that case. Was she was just like, I don't know if I ever want to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm not in the mood. Like I don't want to talk about. It. I don't want to think about it. I just want to shoot my bow. Or what's it, what the father, the dad says is like. I don't want to get married. I just want to ride in right the wind, shoot my arrows. Hair flows. Hair flowing in the lock. Speaking of hair, we have to talk uh, about yes. the technology here. We didn't. You, I want to know. We didn't talk about it at all in Toy Story Three, even though that was the most impressive looking Pixar film to date. But here, it actually has to do with the look of the film because Meredith's hair is amazing looking. Every like curl is its own thing and so it bounces and weaves and yeah. just sticks and they don't sticks cover out. it up like you know classic animation technique used to be oh give them a hat to wear or give the, the female characters a ponytail or something like that so that way you don't have to animate all that hair mm-hmm. nope throw that into the trash because basically they came to the animator to say like no her hair is her personality just like kind of Little Mermaid before it Work on technology that makes this hair look realistic and fun. And they did. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens both of the characters are redheads. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, and it, not only that, but they also added a lot of fur physics, too. Yeah. With Because the they had two full bears. They had to, uh, They're very forward. impressive. Yeah. So there's a lot of impressive stuff in this movie, uh, technology-wise. Uh, but kind of, to go back to the story, how was your reaction when you saw this? I still have a poster of Brave up in my room. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. When the movie, so came, you are on Team Brave too. Oh, I like Brave. Okay, Brave is a fun movie. It subverts a lot of the traditional princess genres. Yeah, uh, that uh, that Disney is known for. Uh, before 
Frozen came out. <laughs> it is kind of the pre-Frozen Frozen in a lot yeah. of ways. Both the fact that it completely eschews a romance subplot. In fact, it outright rejects it. Yeah. Uh, you're, you have a character basically saying, no, I don't even want a, a love interest in this movie. It is not my priority right now. There are bigger things to worry about. Which was not common even in twenty by 2012. Like, and yeah, you have uh, Frozen later, kind of, and Moana even more so, mm-hmm. kind of taking advantage of that and be like, we can have female characters that don't need to be defined by their relationships anymore. And yeah, this kind of was early in that trend and may have influenced kind of the animation team as a whole at Disney. Yeah, it's definitely the most forward yeah. of all of the Pixar we've gotten so far. It is, yeah, it's definitely the most traditional story-wise. Yeah. Uh, when you kind of look at it as lar- larger, there is kind of this mythology that the, the character discovers. It's very hero's journey in that way. Right. Uh, it's, there is the, kind of the Disney magic of, uh, where it's like, oh, here's a literal breadcrumb path to where Merida needs to go in this movie. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. that's the one thing that bugged the film. It's not great. Is the wisps. They needed some... I guess they probably had trouble in the writer's room trying to figure out how to get Merida from point A to point B, and I don't blame them. Because there's not a whole lot of direction when you have to develop... When you have to get, uh, like do everything where the st- all of the story comes from her decisions. She has to be in power, and she is, throughout the film. But with that one caveat, there's like half of it is, I want to follow this even though I don't know where it goes. Right. Well, I think they mentioned in the very beginning they the tale of the wisps. They do. Yeah. They tr- make it into the, the, the world enough yeah. that it doesn't seem super out of place. But as I put it yesterday when we were watching it, or two days ago, whenever that was, uh, I said it is kind of video gaming in a lot of ways. It's yes. like literally go here yep. and to the next plot point. Uh, but besides that, though, that's like a real minor thing compared to like what they tried to do. It's not perfect. I think that it's a little lopsided when it tries to go for comedy. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the comedy is not super great. Oh, you're talking about the, the Maggie uh, caretaker? That The caretaker character, I don't get at all. I think it's totally tacked on and just dumb comic relief, mm-hmm. not fun comic relief. Yeah. The, the, the boys are fun comic relief. They're okay. I don't necessarily like the whole dynamic between the tribes uh, I think some of the jokes are dumb. I think the whole scene where they're fighting each other is totally useless. Yeah. I, I get why it's there. Well, so it's so at the next scene, that's why. I get, yeah, I get its, it's relevance for the plot. And also, I get probably there was probably a conversation, because that's how movie studios are, like it or not, about how to get a wider audience to appreciate the movie. And probably somebody was like, well, let's put some things in for boys. Mm-hmm. As much as I hate that thing, and I think they eventually got around it, even though the whole of Tangled's marketing was basically that. How can we get boys to watch this movie? Well, it's also why they changed that, <laughs> that film's name from uh-huh. Rapunzel to Tangled. Yeah, stuff like that. So the studio at the time was still very much embroiled in that kind of thinking. Yeah. So it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of those scenes and that kind of extra like masculine energy may have been added in later drafts and may may possibly, in conspiracy theory mode here, been part of the fuel that uh, that maybe made the rift between Chapman and them. But who knows? Yeah. We don't know. We weren't there. I would love to have been a fly on the wall during those meetings <laughs> to see how that all went down. But here we are. Or maybe a sequel to the book I have about Pixar that goes into like the mo- movies that came out after right. uh, 2010. Because that would be interesting. I would love to know the story. But until then... Um, I think we're left with the film. I we have. yes, we like it a lot. I understand the detractors. I understand people may have been expecting something that it wasn't, but I think it's a fun, well-made movie that maybe just doesn't make the cut to the top tiers. I want to put it at the very top of the lower middle. Yeah, we are in that soft field though. Uh, you know what I mean. Like, we can <laughs> oh, put it in the lower, lower middle. Oh, lower middle. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I think okay. there are so many movies that we're going to have to put above it that as much as I personally love it, I am willing to put it down there. See, I thought you said upper no. middle first. Cause, lower. Because you're building middle. up how much you love it, how much like it... I do it. love it a lot, but I understand that in comparison to the other films we've already talked about, 
it isn't even, I think, on the same level as Monsters, Inc. I will admit that. Because I am able to distinguish between things I personally enjoy and things that are actually better crafted. And I think in this case, Monsters, even, is a better movie. As kind of a reference. Okay. But, yeah, okay, so Brave, while it, we do love it as a film, it's compared to the rest of compared the Pixar fans, which is what we're a, a, yes. essentially comparing everything on. And hey, we had the freedom to move it up later if we deem it necessary, too. Right. Which is not permanent. This all will move. But, yeah, for now, I think that's where it needs to be for now. All right, so uh, lower middle, then. Yeah. Okay. For and, now. Right. But we'll come back to you, Brave. We won't forget you. Right. So let's move on to the third of the uh, sequels yes. in, in this list uh, for this uh, podcast. Next. Because it's, well, yep. it's not a sequel. Uh, it's a prequel. It's a prequel. So yeah, uh, kind of the next uh, question that people had about Pixar is like, really? You're going to make another sequel? And of course... It was Monsters University, which is the prequel to Monsters, Inc. But yeah, at the time, it was a big question mark, kind of in the same way that Cars 2 was. Where it was like, do we need this? Why don't we do another original movie? Like, why are they doing this? Or, or <laughs> like, why not make a sequel instead of a prequel? Why are we going backwards when we've already established yeah. their friendship? Yeah. That being said, I think this is pretty underrated. It's a it's a fun movie. Fun movie. It's a fun movie. It's 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 again kind of like its predecessor, more of a comedy, but it does manage to also kind of have its moments of emotion. You do care about the kind of trials that both uh, Mike Wazowski and uh, Sully are going through in their college years, which, by the way, is what this movie is about. Hence the name. It is about them at attending. Monsters University and learning to be scarers to kind of earn their jobs that they would later get at the Scare Institute place. Factory? Scare Factory? Scare Factory. So yeah, it's like, and it's kind of, it It introduces a lot of new characters, kind of monster characters that go to school with them, including kind of like a mean headmaster guy. And like, it, it's interesting in the way that it's it's basically an 80s college movie. They're doing that. Yeah, that's the genre they wanted to go for. Yeah. I think they definitely nail it. Yeah, they definitely the hit part. what they want. It's not hundred percent that because, like I said, they do also kind of give you the emotional resonance that those movies didn't really give you. Mm-hmm. It's not a straight comedy. You do kind of get the you get the feeling that that Mike wants to be good in school and he's just not. He really struggles with it. And Sully is kind of like the you know he's the jock. He's the one that's kind of leaning back. He doesn't have to care. He's just naturally good. He's just naturally a scary-looking yeah, monster. Yeah, he has kind of, And so it's them basically learning from each other about their different school experiences and, in a really cool way. And it does lead right into the reasons why they act the way they do later in their lives and why their friendship is how it is in the original Monsters, Inc. movie. There are a lot of layers to this movie that I think a lot of people dismissed immediately. Because it was very easy to be dismissive over a prequel movie. Especially a prequel movie to a movie that a lot of people thought was kind of like fine on its own. Yeah. Which will be, uh, we'll have a very similar conversation in a movie coming up next episode too. Yeah. It's like, did this need another movie? I don't know. Uh, But, I mean, what do you think? You actually saw this in a theater if I remember correctly. Yes. I didn't. I had to watch this on a, t- on a TV much longer. Wait, with commercials? Yes, I watched it with commercials. Uh, uh, but I still had a, I still had fun watching it. But how did you react the first time you saw it? I didn't really care for it the first time I saw it. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, my sister loved it. Yeah. But I just for some reason, with for me, it just didn't click as much. Okay. I mean, it, it came out after I was already out of college. Yeah. Same. So I was already out of the whole like, okay, if it's like understanding films a lot better at that point. <laughs> right. Uh, so for me, it was I just looked at it and just stripping it away, like strictly at its story basis, it was very flat to me. I'm sure. I mean, there was nothing like that I could hold on to from that film 
like I can remember vaguely some of it now, but for the most part, it's just it it didn't stick with me then. It doesn't stick with me now. It it was just a for me. It just felt like it was just a film set in the Monsters University world where <laughs> the characters didn't really matter because at the end of the film, it didn't really matter. Really? Okay. Now you've only seen it the once, right? Um. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it since. I think you maybe should rewatch it. Maybe. I think I think there's stuff. I think there's something to it. I really do. Like I think may, maybe one of the benefits I got seeing it on television is it's just naturally more of kind of an of of a uh, intimate medium. It's kind of like if you're sitting in front of a TV, it's 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 less. You're not less like. Oh, I'm here to see a movie. It's more about like, oh, what's going on in this thing? And maybe I did, also, maybe it's because I didn't have the same kind of expectations for it. I basically went in thinking like, oh, people have kind of trashed on this. People didn't really care about it. And so I was surprised by actually how much I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, I probably went with too, with too high of an expectation. Maybe. Because, yeah, I mean, it sets you up thinking it's going to be, be the same kind of movie as the first one. And it's very not. It's a very different movie with the same characters. And, again, I think that's a cool new thing that they were trying. And I see what they were going for in a way that maybe a lot of people didn't. That being said, I will admit, it doesn't quite have the nuance that a lot of the Pixar movies that, are, that we call great are known for. Mm-hmm. It has some emotional things, but they don't hit as hard as even Monsters, Inc. moments do. It doesn't necessarily go for the big home runs. In a kind of similar way to Cars 2, kind of what I was talking about there, I almost want to say that the bar was a little lower because they knew that it was going to do okay based on the monster's name alone. See, I I think that I set my bar... Well, I don't think I even had a bar because (laughs) like going into the film, I know how it's going to end. Right. I know that they have to get from point A (laughs) to point B because we've already established... Point C. Which is a problem with prequels as a whole. Right. It's probably always going to happen with a prequel where you know there's no stakes, or at least the stakes are not as high because you know where they end up. Right, and I think that's probably why I had the big aversion yeah. to it coming out, and probably still now, that because I know that they have to be friends <laughs> at the end, Right. the whole journey for it, for me, was lackluster yeah. and didn't really matter as much because I know how it ends already. Right. And that is a major weak spot. And that's, yeah. That's probably the biggest weak spot. It's, it's, it's that. It's, it's a, well, it's a that. And also, part of the plot is, will they graduate? And you're like, of course they will. Because they literally have these jobs that they wanted. Yeah. They had to have a degree for it. You know, you know they graduate. Is It was kind of like the thing. Right. And so, yes, both of those things kind of are definitely a detriment. I agree. It's a detriment to the enjoy, uh, like the 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 uh, kind of the like I said, the, the, stakes. the, the enjoyability, the surprises, the yeah. heartfelt stuff. Because you know how it's gonna end. That being said, I think for the things that they were given, for the task that was at hand, I think they did a better job than a lot of people gave them credit for. But I understand all its weaknesses, so I am absolutely okay putting this in the bottom for now, okay. because I agree with you that there's a lot. Working against this film. Right. But, a lot. But there's a lot of great animation. Yeah, there's a lot of great animation, though. I mean, they nail all the tech when it comes to monsters. Yes, but like, the, but this, is, is of course, becomes the standard for Pixar films. That yeah. It all looks good. It all it's good all great at this point. Like, you don't expect a Pixar film to not look good. For sure. And, and so, you, so, like, when you watch it, you... Like, automatically bypass everything and strictly focus on the story at that point. Yeah. But we still should at least mention that it's a great-looking film. Because a lot of people worked hard on it. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, um, I think it's definitely better. It sounds like it's better than Cars 2. No question about that. But I think it probably belongs on the bottom just for now because I think of how many movies are on this list that are better than it. Well, it doesn't have that emotional gut punch. And because you know where it's going to end up, because there is Monsters, Inc., that it just, it seems like everyone's, for me, everyone's going through the motions of a typical film, and nothing is shocking, surprising, or 
worthwhile in yeah. that film. I think if this wasn't a prequel, it wouldn't have a lot of the problems it does. If it was, they go back to school or they go to management like training. something like that. And, and then, like, then they... But like, then it wouldn't yeah. be the same movie. Like, again, the problem is, is I know why they did the decision, made the decisions they did, because it makes for a good movie. Right. But it hurts be just because of how movies work. Right. So, yeah, I think that let's put it at the bottom with an asterisk, I guess. I, I put it at the top of the bottom. Yeah, that's now. fair. Because it's it's not... It's not bad. Like it sounds like Cars 2 is. Right. It's just, it's not, it doesn't rank. That's all. Well, it doesn't rank because it's a prequel. Yeah. And that's the, because it's a prequel, because Monsters, Inc. did exist way before this, and people have such an affinity to it, even though, even though you know where it's going to end up, Yeah. it still doesn't necessarily help the film. And so there you have it. You have the third in a row of kind of what's seen as the low period for Pixar, which is unfortunate. But we now get to move on to the next movie, which is seen by a lot of people when they picked back up, which is, of course, one of my favorites, Inside Out. Yes. Inside Out is kind of amazing. In a lot of ways, I think it, even though a lot of people liked it when it came out, in the grand conversation now, I feel like a lot of people forget about it. Right. This was 2014? 2015. Because 2015 is the year they did two, but we'll get to that second of that, that yeah. later. Uh, but for now, yeah, one of the cool things about Inside Out is it kind of had that element of surprise again. And almost because the previous three Pixar films kind of disappointed. And so you had that reaction where, again, it was word of mouth, mm-hmm. where people who did see it were telling other people, hey, this is actually great. You should see Inside Out. That's what we did. We yeah. went and saw it opening night. And, it, and I really loved it. Yeah. So uh, it's one of the most creative of well, the Pixar canon. Well, let's explain briefly what it is first and say, yeah. how do they get this thing made? So yeah, it sounds it, it sounds like an impossible to animate movie. It's the concept of what's going on in the human brain and how do decisions get made in the human brain based on emotions. Let's say in theory that each of the core emotions were personified as little characters that had to direct decision making for a person, specifically a young person, an adolescent, who is maybe going through a hard time. So how would that look? Well, but someone going through a lot of changes all at once. Definitely. Not only as a person, but also around, in, around them. In their family, in their, in their surroundings. In their social standings. So it sounds like a pretty lofty thing for, one, a movie, and two, an animated movie. But that's the freedom you have with animation. And one of the coolest parts about Inside Out is that it's able to translate kind of these larger concepts of human free will and visualize them in some really cool and creative ways. And that's one, yes, that's the great thing about animation Mm -hmm. in general is that if it doesn't exist in the real world, Mm -hmm. that's okay. We can literally make it up. And that's what they do a lot in this film. Yeah. But the way they're able to, like, not only just make it up, but be able to make it so you can understand what's happening mm-hmm. is a great feat in itself. I mean, you can usually chalk, and, and we've been doing this, you can chalk up most of these Pixar films to one underlying theme. And usually it's like, oh, you know, the relationship to, between two friends or the relationship between a toy and its owner or a relationship between a mother and a daughter. This time it's kind of... Way bigger than that, because it's the relationship between happiness and sadness, which sounds like such a big idea, but they're able to portray that as a relationship between two characters. And and you couldn't have two more polar opposites. And really, like, but it does it in a way where at the end it actually says something pretty incredibly deep and psychological about the relationship between being happy and being sad. I think that maybe it was just the time that I saw it in, because I was kind of, it was at the time that I was seeing it in, 
it was a time where I was thinking a lot about mental health and I was thinking a lot about people in my life that were struggling because of their grappling between being happy, being depressed, you know, that kind of thing. The movie does a really good job of showing that sadness is not necessarily a bad thing. If isolated, if it's the only thing that you're feeling, sure, yeah, it can bring you into some dark places. But the whole concept of this movie and the ultimate theme at the end is showing, no, you're allowed to be sad sometimes. In fact, it's a good thing. It makes you process the feelings that you have. If you sit with the feelings that you have, uh, you are able to kind of get, your, it helps you get over them. It helps you understand your life. And so it's important to combine happy with sad. Well, it goes even further than that than saying in terms of like our memories are a mix of emotions yeah. that 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 happen and that that drive us that that create us of who we are. It's easy to be nostalgic about the happy things, and it's easy to be nostalgic about the sad things. But it's hard to be nostalgic about this about combinations of the two. Those melancholic moments mm-hmm. that are happy for one second and maybe have a kind of sad underpinning. And so, yeah, it's the fact that we're talking about such deep, like, existential kind of concepts. It's an animated film. <laughs> but that's the great part about this yeah. movie is that it's one of those. It's one of those things that movies where I was thinking about it for days after I saw it. I know you were. Yeah, it's like it really, really affected me in some really cool ways, and it's got that classic Pixar gut punch. Oh, definitely twice. Twice, twice. it does it Bing really, really well. Yes, the, the imaginary friend scene is killer, and then the scene where uh, the kid, Riley, uh, which now has uh, significance in my actual life, yes. as a name <laughs> of, uh, of a person, uh, returns from running away from home and just, just cries. She doesn't know what to say. She tries to get a sentence out, and she tries to explain to her parents what's going on in her mind, but she doesn't need to, because her tears say it. Her parents understand immediately, and they just embrace, and it's just... Oh, it's super powerful because you know what everything that they've all gone through. Not only the daughter, but the parents too. And the characters inside Riley's brain you care about. Yeah. It's just, it's so insane. And it all, all that, and it also manages to have moments of amazing humor and amazing, like, like excitement. It pulls on, off some great uh, set pieces. Like one of the abstract. I know what. Yeah, I was just gonna say one of your favorite bits. I know is the is the abstract thought scene where they actually get to be experimental with their animation for a little bit. Mm -hmm. There, it's really fun. Like and the visualizations of the the kind of the world of the mind. Like their islands have set up to represent concepts in somebody's brain. Like oh, this is the family relationship island. This is sports island this is how much she loves hockey it's like these things are a representative of things in her life have actual plot relevance for the peer characters in her in her mind i thought one of the smart uh, designs of this film was that uh that when you looked out to the islands in the background was all the memories but mm-hmm. the memories were, were weren't like just all in a row and all in a column they were winding and returning kind of like how a brain kind of yeah. looks yeah it's cool. it's insane world building for what it is for a movie that's literally just a one shot story that is I don't believe they could ever make a sequel out of that'd be insane if they tried uh, it's 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 insane world building especially when you consider it's just for one movie right. like they put in so much work to how the mind would be visualized in a fun plot relevant way and. I just, I can't, I can't even, like, imagine how long it took. Well, even take this a step further, someone, uh, I last watched this, uh, someone took all the thoughts, all, all the, everything that occurred in the mind, <laughs> out of the film. Yeah. So it was just an, just a people film. I bet it still works. And it still worked. It's much shorter, I bet, but it's still oh, Yeah, it's works. only, like, 12 minutes. It's kind of two movies. But it works. It really is kind of two movies. You don't need the stuff in the mind to explain why Riley does the things she does, but... It helps, and it helps kind of, like I said, kind of make these larger emotional concepts make more sense, especially to a younger audience who may be just learning about these things themselves, about how to deal with their emotions as they grow up. It's, it's, it works on so many different levels, it's, it's not, but it's also a really fun movie to watch. It's, it's the best of both Pixar worlds in a lot of ways, and I think it's, 
I think it's it's important in the development of the studio because I think it's a crucial step to where they go where they go next uh, with the next few movies, especially the last one. Yeah, I think it, it's them really exploring what it means to have a very emotional, high concept story go hand in hand with something that kids can grasp. Right, but it also I think tells Pixar that what they work best best with are are family stories. Oh, for sure. It's definitely a family story in the way that The Incredibles is, yep. in, in the, the way, way that, that Brave is, is. Uh, but in a different way, focusing Toy on a story different element. Even, yeah. And again, Hiding you have Nemo. a female lead that's not necess- that has nothing to do with the love interest. I mean, well, uh, the short maybe <laughs> suggests something else. Yeah. Uh, but really, it's not at all a conversation piece. It's the movie's not about that. They're right. able to they're able to present a protagonist that's just a coming of age. It's a coming of age movie, right? But in a lot of ways, right? It also one thing it does really great is that it shows how one simple thing in someone's life can yeah. drastically change a oh, person. Yeah. I mean, because had the film continued and had she left, like she would have been a completely different person. Yeah, yeah, and 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 yeah, it just it, it makes those very very large concepts seem understandable, but at the same time, as complex as they should be. Right. It treats them with respect for a kids movie, and that's amazing. Although I think even calling Pixar movies kids movies at this point is maybe doing them a disservice. That's why we call them animated yeah. films. They definitely, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough to not go into that kind of form because they have to be appealing to kids to work. This is also the uh, the studio's return to the G-rated movie. Uh, it is. Or they, I, uh, they were doing PGs. Yeah, they were doing PGs for a big run there. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it's definitely them kind of returning to their family roots and returning to roots story-wise in a lot of ways. I think that the, one of the reasons why the prior three movies are less beloved is because it is a whole lot more complex plot-wise. They're more traditional storytelling, but they're also more kind of movie-like in their ways as opposed to Inside Out, which kind of gets more to the core of an emotional story as opposed to a long I will speed up and slow down if I want to, sir. <laughs> I see it's been an hour. Yeah. I see. I have eyes. Okay. <laughs> but anyways, uh, so yeah, I think it's I think it's them uh, doing the one of the best ladder uh, period works that they've done so far, and it definitely ranks, in my opinion, up at the top. Oh, I'll, yeah, I will put this at the top five. Uh, when it came out, I put this in my top five. Uh, I put it in my top five just because it's short in front of it. The lava short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're not talking about. Oh, no, we're not talking here. about shorts and how the, how that adds to the film. <laughs> but it's definitely just throwing that in there. But yeah, it's great. So if you're one of those people who skipped it because you did maybe thought they were on a lull, go back and check it out because it's a lot of fun and it's a great. It's it's a really well made one of those. Uh, so yeah, check that out. And that will do it for this edition of Pixar Madness. We have one last episode where we will be covering the last four. And that one's going to be a long one. That's going to be a long one because not only do we have to cover four more movies, kind of clean up the remaining movies we haven't discussed, but we also have to talk about the list as a whole and move anybody that we determine needs to be moved up or down the list once we have it complete. Do you think we can do that in one podcast? I think we can do that in one podcast. Well, it's going to be a long one then. I mean, yeah. I really don't think there's going to be a whole lot we do at the end. The real decision will be how we rank the top five. Well, I think that'll be the toughest. The top we'll ten, be able roughly. to We'll be able to sort, I think, towards the bottom. But yeah. yeah. When we get tired at the top, I think we're going to have a hard time agreeing. Uh, when we get to seven, I want to <laughs> say. <laughs> Maybe. Seven and up. Yeah. Seven and up. Just like a toy. Just like the drink. So that'll do it uh, for this edition of the Pixar Madness podcast. Uh, you can catch another edition of this of this special, the final edition, next Thursday. That'll be March the uh, from tomorrow is the twentieth. Uh, March twentieth will be the day the final episode will go up. That will wrap up our Pixar Madness segment. If you've enjoyed this and you want to listen to our regular podcast, you can find that on the same podcast feed. Just search uh, Media Boat Podcast. Uh, 20 seconds. Uh, Media Boat Podcast, and you'll find us on Apple Podcasts or any of your podcast catching devices and services. 
You can also catch our media book podcast where we talk about film, movie, or film, television, music, and video games, not necessarily in that order, live on YouTube every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. You can just search Media Boat Podcast on YouTube and find and subscribe to our page. If you want to see us on social media, we're at Media Boat on Twitter. We're on uh, Facebook. If you search Media Boat Podcast there, find our page. We are also on Patreon if you want to donate as little as a dollar a month. You can uh, be part of our exclusive club and get cool stuff for anybody else. And also help us make even better content uh, when we have some financial help. And uh, finally, uh, you can find us every once in a while playing video games on twitch.tv and on our website, mediaboatpodcast.com, where we uh, post reviews, thoughts, and um, special features every week. So check that out. Okay, you can breathe now. Yes, that was a lot. (laughs) That was a lot. All right. right. Uh, So catch us next time for the end of the Pixar Madness next Thursday or catch us on podcast on Wednesday. Otherwise, we will see you guys next time. Uh, Thank you. Also, just a reminder, uh, we're doing this because it is March Madness. March Madness starts this weekend. So Uh, so make sure you have your bracket all filled out. Uh, If not, you're as well. (laughs) All right. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye.